Neuromancer. Part 1, Chiba City Blues. The sky above the port was the color of television, tuned to a dead channel. It's not like I'm using, Case heard someone say, as he shouldered his way through the crap around the door of the chat. It's like my body's developed this massive drug deficiency. It was a small voice and a sprawl joke. The Chatsubo was a bar for professional expatriates. You could drink there for a week and never hear two words in Japanese. Rats was tending bar, his prosthetic arm jerking monotonously as he filled a tray of glasses with draft Kirin. Case found a place at the bar between the unlikely tan on one of Lonnie Zone's whores and the crisp naval uniform of a tall African whose cheekbones were ridged with tribal scars. Wage was in here early with two Joe boys, Rats said, shoving a draft across the bar. Maybe some business with you, Case? Case shrugged. The girl to his right giggled and nudged him. The bartender's smile widened. His ugliness was the stuff of legend in an age of affordable beauty there was something heraldic about his lack of it. The antique arm whined as he reached for another mug. It was a Russian military prosthesis, a seven-function force-feedback manipulator, cased in grubby pink plastic. You are too much the artiste hair case. You are the artiste of the slightly funny deal. Sure, Case said and sipped his beer. Somebody's got to be funny around here. Sure the fuck isn't you. The whore's giggle went up an octave. Isn't you either, sister, so you vanish, okay? She looked Case in the eye and made the softest possible spitting sound, her lips barely moving. But she left. As Case was picking up his beer, one of those strange instants of silence descended as though a hundred unrelated conversations had simultaneously arrived at the same pause. Then the whore's giggle rang out, tinged with a certain hysteria. Rats grunted. An angel passed, he said. Out of Chinese, bellowed a drunken Australian, Chinese bloody invented nerve splicing. Give me the mainland for a nerve job any day. Fix you right, mate. Now that, Case said to his glass, that is so much bullshit. The Japanese had already forgotten more neurosurgery than the Chinese had ever known. The black clinics of Chiba were the cutting edge, whole bodies of techniques supplanted monthly, and still they couldn't repair the damage he'd suffered in that Memphis hotel. A year here and he still dreamed of cyberspace, hope fading nightly, all the speed he took, all the turns he'd taken in the corners he'd cut in Night City, and still he'd see the Matrix in his sleep, bright lattices of logic unfolding across that colorless void. The sprawl was a long, strange way home over the Pacific now, and he was no console man, no cyberspace cowboy, just another hustler. But the dreams came on in the Japanese night like live wire voodoo, and he'd cry for it, cry in his sleep, and wake alone in the dark, curled in his capsule in some coffin hotel, his hands clawed into the bed slab, temper foam bunched between his fingers, 
trying to reach the console that wasn't there. I saw your girl last night, Rat said. I don't have one, Case said. Miss Linda Lee, Rat said. Case shook his head. The bartender's small brown eyes were nested deep in wrinkled flesh. I think I like you better with her, he said. You laughed more. Now some night you get maybe too artistic. You wind up in the clinic tanks, spare parts. Case finished his beer, paid and left. High narrow shoulders hunched beneath the rain-stained khaki nylon of his windbreaker. Threading his way through the Ninsai crowds, he could smell his own stale sweat. Case was 24. At 22, he'd been a cowboy, a wrestler, one of the best in the sprawl. He'd been trained by the best, by McCoy Pauley. He'd operated on an almost permanent adrenaline high, jacked into a custom cyberspace deck that projected his disembodied consciousness into the consensual hallucination that was the Matrix. A thief, he'd worked for other wealthier thieves, employers who provided the exotic software required to penetrate the bright walls of corporate systems, opening windows into rich fields of data. He'd made the classic mistake. He stole from his employers. He still wasn't sure how he'd been discovered, not that it mattered now. He'd expected to die then, but they only smiled. Of course he was welcome, they told him, welcome to the money, and he was going to need it, because, still smiling, they were going to make sure he never worked again. They damaged his nervous system with a wartime Russian mycotoxin. Strapped to a bed in a Memphis hotel, his talent burning out micron by micron, he hallucinated for 30 hours. The damage was minute, subtle, and utterly effective. For Case, who'd lived for the bodiless exultation of cyberspace, it was the fall. In the bars he'd frequented as a cowboy hotshot, the elite stance involved a certain relaxed contempt for the flesh. The body was meat. Case fell into the prison of his own flesh. His total assets were quickly converted to new yen, a fat sheaf of the old paper currency that circulated endlessly through the world's black markets. In Japan, he'd known with a clenched and absolute certainty he'd find his cure. In Chiba, synonymous with implants, nerve splicing, and microbionics, Chiba was a magnet for the sprawl's techno-criminal subcultures. In Chiba, he'd watched his new yin vanish in a two-month round of examinations and consultations. The men in the black clinics, his last hope, had admired the expertise with which he'd been maimed and then slowly shaken their heads. Now he slept in the cheapest coffins, the ones nearest the port, beneath the quartz halogen floods that lit the docks all night like vast stages, where you couldn't see the lights of Tokyo for the glare of the television sky. Behind the port lay the city. Port and city were divided by a narrow borderland of older streets, an area with no official name, Night City, with Ninsai at its heart. Two blocks west of the chat, in a tea shop called the Jar de Té, Case washed down the night's first pill with a double espresso. It was a flat pink octagon, a potent species of Brazilian decks he bought from one of Zone's girls. 
At first, finding himself alone in Chiba, with little money and less hope of finding a cure, he'd gone into a kind of terminal overdrive, hustling fresh capital with a cold intensity that had seemed to belong to someone else. In the first month, he'd killed two men and a woman over sums that a year before would have seemed ludicrous. Ninsai wore him down until the street itself came to seem the externalization of some death wish, some secret poison he hadn't known he carried. Night City was like a deranged experiment in social Darwinism, designed by a bored researcher who kept one thumb permanently on the fast-forward button. Stop hustling and you sank without a trace. Move a little too swiftly and you'd break the fragile surface tension of the black market. Either way, you were gone, with nothing left of you but some vague memory in the mind of a fixture like rats, though heart or lungs or kidneys might survive in the service of some stranger with new yin for the clinic tanks. Biz here was a constant subliminal hum, and death the accepted punishment for laziness, carelessness, lack of grace, the failure to heed the demands of an intricate protocol. Alone at a table, with the octagon coming on, pinheads of sweat starting from his palms, Case knew that at some point he'd started to play a game with himself, a final solitaire. He no longer carried a weapon. He ran the fastest, loosest deals on the street. A part of him knew that the arc of his self-destruction was glaringly obvious to his customers, who grew steadily fewer. And that was the part of him smug in its expectation of death that most hated the thought of Linda Lee. He'd found her one rainy night in an arcade. Under bright ghosts burning through a blue haze of cigarette smoke, somehow she'd been singled out for him, one face out of the dozens who stood at the consoles, lost in the game she played. The expression on her face then had been the one he'd seen hours later, on her slipping face in a portside coffin, her upper lip like the line children draw to represent a bird in flight. Crossing the arcade to stand beside her, high on the deal he'd made, he saw her glance up, gray eyes rimmed with smudged black paint stick, eyes of some animal pinned in the headlights of an oncoming vehicle their night together stretching into a morning, into tickets at the hoverport, and his first trip across the bay. It took a month for the gestalt of drugs and tension he moved through to turn those perpetually startled eyes into wells of reflexive need. He'd watched her personality fragment, calving like an iceberg, splinters drifting away, and finally he'd seen the raw need the armature of addiction. He'd watched her track the next hit with a concentration that reminded him of the mantises they sold in stalls along Shiga, beside tanks of blue mutant carp and crickets caged in bamboo. He stared at the black ring of grounds in his empty cup. It was vibrating with the speed he'd taken. Hey, Case, good buddy. He looked up, met gray eyes ringed with paint stick. She was wearing faded French orbital fatigues and new white sneakers. I've been looking for you, man. She took a seat opposite him. You sleeping okay, Case? You look tired. Her accent put her south along the sprawl toward Atlanta. 
The skin below her eyes was pale and unhealthy looking, but the flesh was still smooth and firm. She was 20. New lines of pain were starting to etch themselves permanently at the corners of her mouth. Her dark hair was drawn back, held by a band of printed silk. The pattern might have represented micro-circuits or a city map. Not if I remember to take my pills, he said, as a tangible wave of longing hit him, lust and loneliness riding in on the wavelength of amphetamine. He remembered the smell of her skin in the overheated darkness of a coffin near the port. All the meat, he thought, and all at once. Wage, she said, he wants to see you with a hole in your face. Who says? Rats? You've been talking to rats? No, Mona, her new squeeze is one of Wage's boys. I don't owe him enough. He does me. He's out the money anyway. Too many people owe him now, Case. Maybe you get to be the example. You seriously better watch it. Sure. How about you, Linda? You got anywhere to sleep? Sleep. Sure, Case. She shivered, hunched forward over the table. Her face was filmed with sweat. Here, he said, and dug in the pocket of his windbreaker, coming up with a crumpled fifty. He passed it to her. You need that, honey. You better give it to Wage. There was something in the gray eyes now that he couldn't read, something he'd never seen there before. Friday night on Ninsai, he passed yakitori stands and massage parlors, the electronic thunder of an arcade. There were countless theories explaining why Chiba City tolerated the Ninsai enclave, but Case tended toward the idea that the Yakuza might be preserving the place as a kind of historical park, a reminder of humble origins. But he also saw a certain sense in the notion that burgeoning technologies require outlaw zones, that Night City wasn't there for its inhabitants, but as a deliberately unsupervised playground for technology itself. Was Linda right, he wondered, staring up at the lights? Would Wage have him killed to make an example? It didn't make much sense, but then Wage dealt primarily in prescribed biologicals, and they said you had to be crazy to do that. The week before, he delayed transfer of a synthetic glandular extract, retailing it for a wider margin than usual. He knew Wage hadn't liked that. Wage was his primary supplier, nine years in Chiba and one of the few gaijin dealers who'd managed to forge links with the rigidly stratified criminal establishment beyond Night City's borders. Genetic materials and hormones trickled down to Ninsai along an intricate ladder of fronts and blinds. Somehow Wage had managed to trace something back once, and now he enjoyed steady connections in a dozen cities. Case found himself staring through a shop window. The place sold small bright objects to the sailors. Watches, lighters, sim-stim decks, and shuriken. The shuriken had always fascinated him. Steel stars with knife-sharp points. The chrome stars held his gaze, their centers stamped with dragons or yin-yang symbols. They caught the street's neon and twisted it. And it came to Case that these were the stars under which he voyaged, his destiny spelled out in a constellation of cheap chrome. Julie, he said to his stars, 
Time to see old Julie. Heal now. Julius Dean was 135 years old, his metabolism assiduously warped by a weekly fortune in serums and hormones. His primary hedge against aging was a yearly pilgrimage to Tokyo, where genetic surgeons reset the code of his DNA, a procedure unavailable in Chiba. His offices were located in a warehouse behind Ninsai. Julius Dean import-export was lettered across the plastic in peeling self-adhesive capitals. The room was stacked with fiberglass shipping modules that gave off the tang of preserved ginger. Dean's seamless pink face regarded Case from a pool of light cast by an ancient brass lamp with a shade of dark green glass. The importer was securely fenced behind a vast desk of painted steel flanked on either side by tall, drawered cabinets made of some pale wood. The sort of thing, Case supposed, that had once been used to store written records of some kind. The desktop was littered with cassettes, scrolls of yellowed printout, and various parts of some sort of clockwork typewriter. Ah, what brings you around, boyo? Dean asked offering Case a narrow bonbon wrapped in blue and white checked paper. Try one. Ting Ting Jahe. It's the very best. Case refused the ginger, took a seat in a yawning wooden swivel chair. Hey, Julie, I hear Wage wants to kill me. Oh, well then. And where did you hear this, if I may? People. People, Dean said, around a ginger bonbon. Sort of people friends? Case nodded. Not always that easy to know who your friends are, is it? I do owe him a little money, Dean. He say anything to you? I haven't been in touch of late. If I did know, of course, I might not be in a position to tell you. Things being what they are, you understand. Things? He's an important connection, Case. Yeah. You want to kill me, Julie? Not that I know of, Dean shrugged. He might have been discussing the price of ginger. If it proves to be an unfounded rumor, old son, you come back in a week or so and I'll let you on a little something out of Singapore. Out of the Nanhai Hotel, Binkulin Street? Ah, loose lips, old son, Dean grinned. The steel desk was jammed with a fortune in debugging gear. Be seeing you, Julie. I'll say hello to Wage. He was less than a block from Dean's office when it hit. The sudden cellular awareness that someone was on his ass and very close. He fought the adrenaline surge, pretending to let the crowd carry him along. When he saw a darkened display window, he managed to pause by it. The place was a surgical boutique, closed for renovations. With his hands in the pockets of his jacket, he stared through the glass at a flat lozenge of bat-grown flesh that lay on a carved pedestal of imitation jade. Without moving his head, he raised his eyes and studied the reflection of the passing crowd. There, behind sailors in short-sleeved khaki, dark hair, mirrored glasses, dark clothing, slender, and gone. Then Case was running, bit low, dodging between bodies. 
Rent me a gun, Shin? The boy smiled. Two hour. They stood together in the smell of fresh raw seafood at the rear of a shiggy sushi stall. Two hour, you come back. I need one now, man. You got anything right now? Shin rummaged behind empty cans that had once been filled with horseradish. He produced a slender package. Taser, one hour, 20 new yen, 30 deposit. Oh shit, I don't need that. I need a gun. Like maybe I want to shoot somebody. Understand? The waiter shrugged. Two hour. He went into the shop without bothering to glance at the display of shuriken. The Japanese woman behind the terminal looked like she had a few years on old Dean, none of them with the benefit of science. He took his roll of new yen out of his pocket. I want to buy a weapon. She gestured in the direction of a case filled with knives. No, he said, I don't like knives. She brought an oblong box from beneath the counter. Inside were eight identical tissue-wrapped cylinders. He watched while mottled brown fingers stripped the paper from one. She held up a dull steel tube with a leather thong at one end and a small bronze pyramid at the other. She gripped the tube with one hand, the pyramid between her other thumb and forefinger, and pulled. Three oiled, telescoping segments of tightly wound coil springs slid out and locked. Cobra, she said. Beyond the neon shutter of Ninsai, the sky was that mean shade of gray. His tail was back. He was sure of it. He felt a stab of elation, the octagons and adrenaline mingling with something else. You're enjoying this, he thought. You're crazy. Because in some weird and very approximate way, it was like a run in the matrix. Get just wasted enough, find yourself in some desperate but strangely arbitrary kind of trouble, and it was possible to see Ninsai as a field of data, the way the Matrix had once reminded him of proteins linking to distinguish cell specialties. Then you could throw yourself into a high-speed drift and skid, totally engaged but set apart from it all, and all around you the dance of fizz, information interacting, data made flesh in the mazes of the black market. Do it, Case, he told himself. Suck them in. Last thing they'll expect. He was half a block from the game's arcade where he'd first met Linda Lee. He bolted across Ninsai, scattering a pack of strolling sailors. Then he was through the entrance, the sound crashing over him like surf, subsonics throbbing in the pit of his stomach. Someone scored a 10 megaton hit on Tank War Europa, a simulated airburst drowning the arcade in white sound as a lurid hologram fireball mushroomed overhead. He cut to the right and loped up a flight of stairs. He'd come here once with Wage to discuss a deal in proscribed hormonal triggers with a man called Matsuga. He remembered the hallway, the row of identical doors leading to tiny office cubicles. One door was open now. A Japanese girl glanced up from a terminal. Behind her, a travel poster. Get your security up here, Case told her. Then he sprinted down the corridor. The last two doors were closed and he assumed locked. He spun and slammed the sole of his nylon running shoe into the blue composition door at the far end. It popped, cheap hardware falling from the splintered frame. Then he was on the door to its right, both hands around the transparent plastic knob, leaning in with everything he had. Something snapped and he was inside. This is where he and Wage had met with Matsuga, but whatever front Matsuga had operated was long gone. 
no terminal, nothing. Light from the alley behind the arcade filtering in through a single pane of cheap plastic. He shrugged out of his jacket, bundled it around his right hand and punched. It split. Over the muted chaos of the games, an alarm began to cycle. Case pulled his jacket on and flicked the cobra to full extension. With the door closed, he was counting on his tail to assume he'd gone through the one he'd kicked half off its hinges. The cobra's bronze pyramid began to bob gently, the spring steel shaft amplifying his pulse. Nothing happened. It was only the surging of the alarm, the crashing of the games, his heart hammering. A crash from the far end of the corridor. A man's voice shouting something in Japanese. A scream, shrill terror. Another crash, and footsteps, unhurried, coming closer. Passing his closed door, pausing for the space of three rapid beats of his heart, and returning. One, two, three. He snapped the cobra into its handle and scrambled for the window, blind with fear, his nerves screaming. He was up, out, and falling all before he was conscious of what he'd done. The impact with pavement drove dull rods of pain through his shins. A narrow wedge of light from a half-open service hatch framed the chassis of a junked console. He'd fallen face forward on a slab of soggy chipboard. He rolled over into the shadow of the console. The cubicle's window was a square of faint light. A head appeared, framed in the window, backlit by the fluorescence in the corridor but he couldn't read the features. Glint of silver across the eyes. Shit, someone said, a woman, in the accent of the northern sprawl. The head was gone. Shen's pistol was a 50-year-old Vietnamese imitation of a South American copy of a Walther PPK with a very rough pull. It was chambered for 22 long rifle and Case would have preferred lead azide explosives to the simple Chinese hollow points Shin had sold him. Still, it was a handgun and nine rounds of ammunition, and as he made his way from the sushi stall, he cradled it in his jacket pocket. He'd consigned the cobra to a dump canister, and dry swallowed another octagon. The pill lit his circuits and he rode the rush down Shiga to Ninsai. His tail, he decided, was gone, and that was fine. He had calls to make, biz to transact, and it wouldn't wait. A block toward the port stood a ten-story building in ugly yellow brick. An unlit neon sign near the main entrance offered cheap hotel. Case had rented a coffin here on a weekly basis, since he'd arrived in Chiba. The courtyard served as lobby and lawn. Centered in the square carpet of green plastic turf, a Japanese teenager sat behind a C-shaped console reading a textbook. The white fiberglass coffins were racked to framework of industrial scaffolding. Six tiers of coffins, ten coffins on a side. There was nothing in number 92 but a standard Hitachi pocket computer and a small white styrofoam cooler chest. The cooler contained a spun aluminum lab flask. Crouching on the brown temper foam slab that was both floor and bed, K 
Case took Shin's twenty-two from his pocket and put it on top of the cooler. Case took the pink handset and punched a Hong Kong number from memory. He let it ring five times, then hung up. His buyer for the three megabytes of hot RAM and the Hitachi wasn't taking calls. He stared at the cheap little pistol. Iffy, he said. It's all looking very iffy tonight. Case walked into the chat an hour before dawn, both hands in the pockets of his jacket. One held the rented pistol, the other the aluminum flask. Rats was at a rear table, his hundred and twenty kilos of doughy flesh tilted against the wall on a creaking chair. A Brazilian kid called Kurt was on the bar, tending a thin crowd of mostly silent drunks. You look bad, friend artiste, Rat said. I'm doing just fine, super fine. You hear anything about a fight in the arcade tonight, Rats? Crazy cut a security man, Rat shrugged. A girl, they said. I gotta talk to Wage, Rats. I, ah, Rats was looking past Case toward the entrance. I think you are about to. Case had a sudden flash of the shuriken. The speed sang in his head. The pistol in his hand was slippery with sweat. Herr Wage, Rat said, slowly extending his pink manipulator. How great a pleasure! Case turned and looked into Wage's face. It was a tanned and forgettable mask. The eyes were vat-grown sea-green Nikon transplants. He was flanked by his Joe boys, their arms and shoulders bulging with grafted muscle. How you doing, Case? Gentlemen, said Rats, picking up a thick, shatterproof ashtray in his pink plastic. I want no trouble here. Rats crushed the ashtray smoothly. Understand? Case glanced across the room and saw the Brazilian standing on the bar, aiming a Smith and Wesson at the trio. Hey, rats, Case said. I owe you one. The bartender shrugged. Nothing you owe me. These should know better. You don't take anybody off in the Chatsubo. Wage coughed. So who's talking about taking anybody off? Case and me. We work together. Case pulled the twenty-two out of his pocket and leveled it at Wage's crotch. I hear you want to do me, Wage. Rats's pink claw closed around the pistol, and Case let his own hand go limp. Look, Case, you tell me what the fuck is going on with you? It's the shit I'm trying to kill you. The magazine of Case's pistol clattered on the table. Rats held the gun in his claw and pumped the round out of the chamber. Who told you I was trying to hit you, Case? Wage asked. Linda. Who told you, man? Somebody trying to set you up? Case took the flask out of his pocket and handed it to Wage. All I got, pituitaries. Get you five hundred if you move it fast. Had the rest of my roll and some ram, but that's gone by now. You okay, Case? I mean, fine. This will square us. But you look bad, man. You look like hammered shit. You better go somewhere and sleep. Yeah, Case said. He stood up and felt the chat sway around him. He felt them watching as he crossed the room and shouldered his way past the plastic doors.
bitch, he said to the rose tent above Shiga. He sipped thick black coffee from a street vendor's foam thimble and watched the sun come up. But he was finding it increasingly hard to maintain the sense of betrayal. Linda just wanted a ticket home, and the ram in his Hitachi would buy it for her if she could find the right fence. And that business with the fifty. She'd almost turned it down, knowing she was about to rip him for the rest of what he had. At Cheap Hotel, the same boy was on the desk. Good buddy, Case called across the plastic turf. You don't need to tell me. I know already. This pretty lady came to visit, said she had my key. Nice little tip for you, say fifty new ones. The boy put down his book. Woman, Case said, and drew a line across his forehead with his thumb. Silk, here. He smiled broadly. The boy smiled back and nodded. Thanks, asshole, Case said. He had trouble with the lock. Fluorescence came on as he crawled in. Close the hatch real slow, friend. You still that Saturday night special you rented from the waiter? She sat with her back to the wall at the far end of the coffin. She had her knees up, resting her wrists on them, the muzzle of a flechette pistol emerging from her hands. That you in the arcade, he asked. He pulled the hatch down. Where's Linda? That your girl, Linda? He nodded. She's gone. Took your Hitachi. Real nervous. What about the gun, man? She wore mirrored glasses. Her clothes were black. I took it back to Shin, got my deposit, sold his bullets back to him for half what I paid. You want the money? No. What got into you tonight? Why'd you pull that scene at the arcade? I had to mess up this rent-a-cop came after me with nunchucks. Linda said you were going to kill me. Linda said, I never saw her before I came up here. You aren't with Wage? She shook her head. He realized that the glasses were surgically inset, sealing her sockets. The fingers curled around the Fletcher were tipped with polished burgundy. The nails looked artificial. I think you screwed up, Case. I showed up and you just fit me right into your reality picture. So what do you want, lady? You. One live body, brain still somewhat intact. Molly Case, my name's Molly. I'm collecting you for the man I work for. Just wants to talk is all. There's nobody wants to hurt you. That's good, Case said. Except I do hurt people sometimes, Case. I guess it's just the way I'm wired. She wore tight black glove leather jeans and a bulky black jacket. If I put this dart gun away, you're going to be easy, Case? Hey, I'm very easy. I'm a pushover. No problem. That's fine, man. The Fletcher vanished into the jacket. Because you try to fuck around with me, you'll be taking one of the stupidest chances of your whole life. She held out her hands, the white fingers slightly spread, and with a barely audible click, ten double-edged, four-centimeter scalpel blades slid from beneath the burgundy nails. She smiled, and the blade slowly withdrew. After a year of coffins, the room on the 25th floor of the Chiba Hilton seemed enormous. A white brawn coffee maker steamed on a low table by the balcony. 
Get some coffee and you look like you need it, Molly said. She took off her jacket. She wore a sleeveless gray pullover. Bulletproof, Case decided, slopping coffee into a mug. Case, he looked up, seeing the man for the first time. My name is Armitage. The dark robe was open to the waist, the broad chest hairless and muscular, the stomach flat and hard, blue eyes so pale they made Case think of bleach. Sun's up, Case. This is your lucky day, boy. Case whipped his arm sideways and the man easily ducked the scalding coffee. He saw the angular gold ring through the left lobe. Special forces. The man smiled. Get your coffee, Case, Molly said. You're okay, but you're not going anywhere till Armitage has his say. Too young to remember the war, aren't you, Case? Armitage ran a large hand back through his cropped brown hair. Leningrad, Kiev, Siberia. We invented you in Siberia, Case. What's that supposed to mean, Case asked. Screaming fist, Case. You've heard the name. Some kind of run, wasn't it? Yeah, I heard about it. And nobody got out. That isn't true. One unit made it back to Helsinki, Case. Case shrugged. You're a console, cowboy. The prototypes of the programs you used to crack industrial banks were developed for Screaming Fist. Basic module was a Nightwing Microlite, a pilot, a Matrix deck, a jockey. We were running a virus called Mole. The Mole series was the first generation of real intrusion programs. Icebreakers, Case said. Ice from intrusion countermeasures electronics. Problem is, mister, I'm no jockey now, so I think I'll just be going. I was there, Case. I was there when they invented your kind. You got zip to do with me and my kind, buddy. You're rich enough to hire expensive razor girls to haul my ass up here is all. I'm never going to punch any deck again, not for you or anybody else. He crossed to the window and looked down. That's where I live now. Our profile says you're trying to con the street into killing you when you're not looking, Armitage said. Profile? We've built up a detailed model, bought a go-to for each of your aliases, and ran the skim through some military software. Your suicidal case, the model gives you a month on the outside, and you'll need a new pancreas inside a year. We, he met the faded blue eyes. We who? What would you say if I told you we could correct your neural damage, Case? What would you say, Case? I'd say you were full of shit, and then I'd ask what your terms were. Not very different than what you're used to, Case. The clinic was nameless, expensively appointed. It was Sunday afternoon, and he stood with Molly in a sort of courtyard. It'll work, Case. You have no idea the kind of stuff Armitage has. Like he's going to pay these nerve boys for fixing you with the program he's giving them to tell them how to do it. He'll put them three years ahead of the competition. You got any idea what that's worth? The lenses were empty quicksilver, regarding him with an insect calm. You're street samurai, he said. How long you worked for him? A couple of months. What about before that? For somebody else. Working girl, you know? He nodded. Funny case. It's like I know you, that profile he's got. 
I know how you're wired. You don't know me, sister. You're okay, Case. What got you? It's just called bad luck. How about him? He okay, Molly? Well, I tell you, the man's definitely on to something. He's got big money now, and he's never had it before, and he gets more all the time. Or maybe something's on to him. What's that mean? I don't know exactly, she said. I know I don't know who or what we're really working for. He woke and found her stretched beside him in the dark. There was a steady pulse of pain down his spine. Case, it's Wednesday, Case. She reached across him. A breast brushed his upper arm. He heard her tear the foil seal from a bottle of water and drink. Here, she put the bottle in his hand. I can see in the dark, Case. Microchannel image amps in my glasses. My back hurts, he said. That's where they replaced your fluid, changed your blood, too, because you got a new pancreas thrown into the deal, and some new tissue patched into your liver. The nerve stuff, I don't know. A lot of injections. She settled back beside him. It's 2.43.12 a.m. case. I got a readout chipped into my optic nerve. He set up. I got a punched deck. He was groping for his clothes. I got a no. Small, strong hands gripped his arms. Sorry, hotshot. Eight-day wait. Your nervous system would fall out on the floor if you jacked in now. Doctor's orders. Besides, they figure it worked. Check you in a day or so. He lay down again. Where are we? Home. Cheap hotel. Where's Armitage? Hilton. Selling beads to the natives or something. We're out of here soon, man. Amsterdam, Paris then back to the sprawl. She touched his shoulder. Roll over. I give a good massage. He lay on his stomach, arms stretched forward. She settled over the small of his back, the leather jeans cool against his skin. Her fingers brushed his neck. How come you're not at the Hilton, he asked. She answered him by reaching back between his thighs and gently encircling his scrotum with thumb and forefinger. She rocked there for a minute in the dark, erect above him, her other hand on his neck. The leather of her jeans creaked softly with the movement. Case shifted, feeling himself harden against the temper foam. His head throbbed, but the brittleness in his neck seemed to retreat. He raised himself on one elbow, rolled, sank back against the foam, pulling her down, licking her breast, small, hard nipples sliding wet across his cheek. He found the zip on the leather jeans and tugged it down. It's okay, she said. I can see. Sound of the jeans peeling down. She struggled beside him until she could kick them away. She threw a leg across him and he touched her face, unexpected hardness of the implants. Don't, she said, fingerprints. Now she straddled him again, took his hand and closed it over her, his thumb along the cleft of her buttocks, his fingers spread across the labia. But she began to lower herself. The images came pulsing back. The faces, fragments of neon arriving and receding. She slid down around him and his back arched convulsively. 
she rode him that way, impaling herself, slipping down on him again and again until they both had come, his orgasm flaring blue in a timeless space, a vastness like the Matrix, where the faces were shredded and blown away down hurricane corridors, and her inner thighs were strong and wet against his hips.